Super Bowl Sunday. Let's find out how many fans we have. If you wore your jersey or maybe a t-shirt of your favorite team, just go ahead and stand up. Come on, go ahead. Oh, yeah. See that, honey? They clapped for us. Go Hogs. You know you're a Razorback fan when you can call the Hogs. How many of you could be able to call the Hogs? Anyone? Oh, yeah. There's a few out there. We appreciate that. Well, you know, I love football. I have to say that. Even when uh, Lisa and I didn't have much money and uh, we were having to really watch every penny, we would splurge and we would buy football tickets, season tickets to the Razorbacks. We took our girls there. And I always thought by taking them to those football games that both of my girls would want to be Razorbacks. It was kind of funny. When Mikey got to be a senior, she did not want to go to Arkansas. So I did what every parent does. I said, now, honey, if you want to go to OU, I don't care, but you got to get a full ride. I kind of stacked the deck against her. But anyways, we went over to Arkansas. She said, okay, I, I can live with this. And I took over. The, and now she's a hog fan too. But I love football. And in my opinion, Super Bowl Sunday ought to be recognized as a national holiday. And the reason it ought to be recognized as a national holiday is because we treat it like one anyway. Did you know that the Super Bowl is the nation's most watched television event? According to the Nielsen ratings, 98 million people will watch the entire game. But about 185 million will either watch a portion of the game or at least the halftime show. And some just tune in to watch the commercials. How many of you tune in just to watch the commercials? Yeah, there's a few of you out there. Well, talking about commercials, you probably didn't realize it. But because there's so many people who watch it, if you want to buy an advertisement or a commercial, you have to pay between 2.6 and 2.8 million dollars for one 30-second commercial. And here's what's interesting. That's down from 3 million last year because of the recession. Now, let me give you some little-known facts about Super Bowl Sunday. Most people don't know these things. Super Bowl Sunday is the number two food consumption day of the year. Did you know that? Thanksgiving is number one. But Super Bowl Sunday is number two. Over $55 million will be spent on food for Super Bowl parties. That doesn't mean that those of you who aren't going to a party won't say, well, let's just splurge. Let's go get some chicken wings or let's order some pizzas or whatever. No, I'm just telling you, for Super Bowl parties alone, over $55 million will be spent on the food for those. 15,000 tons of chips will be eaten. 8 million pounds of guacamole, and a billion chicken wings will be eaten. And there are more pizza deliveries made during Super Bowl Sunday than on any other day in the year. And speaking of parties, there are more Super Bowl parties than there are New Year's Eve parties. Did you know that's true? I promise you. There are more Super Bowl parties than there are New Year Eve's parties. And the average number of people at a Super Bowl party is 17, not counting children. The Super Bowl is so popular that 40% of the people who watch the Super Bowl aren't even football fans. How many of you are not a football fan? Go ahead, that's okay. How many of you will tune in whether to watch the commercials or to see who? Okay, see, about 40% of those who aren't even football fans are going to come in and watch it. People, that's amazing. As I've already said, I am an avid fan and I love it. And as a result of that, I kind of like to use football terminology to describe things. And so Drew and I have learned to use football terminology to describe things that happen around our church. You know, we'll, we refer to things like the quarterback sneak. A quarterback sneak is when a quarter of those in the back sneak out when I say, let's stand. 
So you, you don't think I see it, but I do. That's a quarterback sneak. And so, you know, I'm telling Drew, we need to devise some type of defense to stop the quarterback sneak. A fumble is when I preach a lousy message. You know, I, I, I fumbled the sermon. An end run is when you go out the side doors to get to your car so you don't have to speak to anyone. Yeah, I, I see you do it. You use these doors over here even though your car is in the main parking lot area. I don't want to have to see them, honey. Let's go out the side doors. Staying in the pocket is what happens to a lot of money that should have been put in the offering plates. <laughs> Holding is when someone shakes your hands and won't let go of it while they're telling you a story. Ever had one of those? You start shaking hands, you pull it back, but they're holding on to it. Yeah, that's holding. Sudden death is what happens to your attention span when I go overtime in my sermon. A bench warmer is someone who doesn't sing during offering, doesn't give during, I mean, doesn't sing during the worship, doesn't give during the offering, doesn't volunteer in the ministry. All they do is sit and complain. I want you to understand something. The coach never listens to the bench warmer. Coach, I think we ought to run. Well, if all you do is sit and complain, I never listen to your advice. It's only those who play in the game. And last but not least, the two-minute warning, is when you realize that the sermon is almost over and you start gathering up your things to leave. So I, gotta, I have to act like I'm not coming to the conclusion. See, we just have all of these football terms, and I won't use some of the others because I might offend you. Now, let me ask you a football trivia question. There are only four teams that have never made it to the Super Bowl. Can you name those teams? The Houston Texans, the Jacksonville Jaguars, the Detroit Lions. And who is the fourth, Drew? I can't, Drew, do you know? Oh yeah, it's the Cleveland Browns. Oh, bless his heart. Enough of that. Let's get into the Sunday morning sermon. Believe it or not, we are going to have a sermon. As I mentioned last week, the Apostle Paul was a big sports fan. In fact, Paul liked to use a lot of sports analogies to teach spiritual principles. In 1 Corinthians, he used boxing and running as an analogy. In Ephesians, he used wrestling as an analogy. And if Paul was alive today... I'm sure that he would use the Super Bowl as an analogy to teach spiritual principles. And that's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to use the Super Bowl as an analogy to show you the type of Christian that God wants you to be. But first, let me explain just how tough it is to get to the Super Bowl. Most of you guys probably already know the information that I'm going to share, but most of you women probably don't. So let me share with you just how tough it is to make it to the Super Bowl. Did you know that only 5.8% of all high school football players go, go on to play college football. Wow. And only 1.8% of college players will get drafted by an NFL team. To break that down for you, only 8 in 10,000 high school players, or 0.08%. Not 8%, not 1.8%, not 0.8%, but 0.08% will actually be drafted by an NFL team. And just because you're drafted by an NFL team doesn't mean that you'll make the team. In fact, last year there were 256 players that were, in, that were actually drafted by an NFL team. And the majority of them did not make the team that they were drafted by. Why? Because an NFL team can only have 53 members or players on it. And it's hard for a rookie to beat out a veteran. So, you need to understand something. Just to make an NFL team, you have to be the best of the best 
of the best. You see, in high school, to make the team, that means you're one of the best in your high school to play on the football team. But only the best of the best go on to play college. And only the best of the best get drafted. And only the best of the best actually make the team. And then only two of the best teams get to play for the Vince Lombardi Trophy. That's why it's such an honor to go to the Super Bowl. You see, that is the trophy that they're trying to win today. But only two teams get a chance to do that. But what does it take to get to the Super Bowl? Because let's think about this. All of the players in the NFL are gifted and talented players, or they wouldn't be in the NFL. So in essence, every team has great players, right? So what distinguishes one team from another? What makes one team better than all of the other teams in their conference? Well, believe it or not, it all boils down to specific character traits. These character traits have the ability to convert a good player into a great player. And if you have enough great players on your team, that means that you've got a chance to go to the Super Bowl. Now see, I was really hoping, I hope there's no Saints fans out there, that the Minnesota Vikings and the Colts would have been in the Super Bowl. Because I believe the Vikings are the best team along with the Colts. But that's just my opinion. Now, here's what, where it gets really interesting, people. The character trait that it takes to turn great, good athletes into great athletes also has the ability to turn good Christians into great Christians. Let me say that again because that's so important. The same character traits that turn good athletes into great athletes also has the ability to turn good Christians into great Christians. And that's why Paul used a lot of sports analogies. The reason that he used these sports analogies is because so many things apply from, that, that uh, apply to athletics also applies to the Christian life. And so the thing that I want you to see is the specific character traits that can turn a good athlete into a great athlete are also the traits that can turn a good Christian into a great Christian. So what I want to do this morning is I want to look at the character traits that God wants you to possess so you can be the best of the best. No, you won't be able to win the Vince Lombardi Trophy, but you will be able to win a crown, an eternal crown. So let's look at these characteristics. There's four of them. The first character trait that God wants you to possess is passion. Now, passion is one of those words that's hard to define because it can mean so many different things. It can refer to a powerful emotion such as love, joy, hatred, or even anger. Some of you have passion when you get angry. It can refer to the object of your love or emotion. As an example, some of you have a passion for reading. What that means is you love to read. Some of you have a passion for snow skiing. What that means is you love to snow ski. But great athletes and great Christians take passion to a whole new level. For them, passion means to want something so bad that you'll do whatever it takes to get it. In other words, you don't want to just play the game. You want to win the game. That's passion, and that's the type of passion I'm talking about. That's what turns good athletes into great athletes. That's what turns good Christians into great Christians. And Paul wrote about this. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse number 24. It says, don't you realize in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize. So run to win. Now here's another one of Paul's sports analogies. And in this analogy, he is likening our Christian walk to a race. It is a race against time. Some of you have not figured that out because you're young. 
You know, I can remember when I was in high school and, and my grandmother had colon cancer. And she came to live with us. And you know, we were praying for her to be healed. But I can still remember being in high school. A lot, I looked at my grandmother and I believe she was 74 years old. And I thought, boy, we're praying that she would be healed so she can live longer. But why would she even want to? She's 74 years old. She's lived forever. And now, I'm getting ready to turn 50 years old this year, and I'm going, boy, she was so young when she died. You see, it's just a perspective. And what we don't realize many times is that we're in a race, but it's a race against time. You see, we all have things that God wants us to do, things he wants us to accomplish before our life is finished, before time runs out on us. And so we have to realize that we're in this race, but most of us don't. Most of us are just kind of meandering through life. We do a little bit here, we do a little bit there, but here's what Paul says. Paul says time is running out, so you need to run, and you need to run to win, to win the race against time. God wants you to be passionate, people. He wants you to be passionate about seeing so saved and about lives being changed. He wants you to be passionate about what he's called you to do, and if you don't have passion for the things of God, you are never going to be the Christian that God wants you to be. It's just true. One of the things that I look for when I go out trying to find someone to come on staff is I look for passion. And I talk about passion all the time. And when I see a staff member maybe that I don't feel like has the passion they need to, I really start praying that God will light a fire underneath them because passion is what converts a good Christian into a great Christian. The second character trait that God wants you to possess is discipline. The truth is, we're all competitive, and we all want to win. We just don't want to do what it takes. That's why I like what Tom Landry once said. How many of you are Cowboys fans? You'll like this statement. Tom Landry once said, the job of a football coach is to make men do what they don't want to do in order to achieve what they've always wanted to be, champions. Boy, that's good. If you want to be the best you can be, You've got to discipline yourself to do whatever it takes. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Let me read verse number 25. Paul wrote these words. All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it. Wait a minute. See, he started off with all athletes are disciplined in their training. And then he tells why they do it. But then he says, but we do it. The assumption, the thing that Paul just believes every Christian is going to do is to be disciplined in their training. Paul didn't have a clue, did he? But he says, we do it for an eternal prize. Here's another one of Paul's sports analogies. Now, in this analogy, he's comparing Christians to athletes. If an athlete wants to win, he's got to be disciplined. He's got to train hard. And I'm having a hard time with my pages. But what that athlete is training for is something that's not eternal. He's trying to win something that will fade away. You know, these players are going to come out here and they're going to be playing to try and win the Super Bowl. But the truth of the matter is, we can't remember who won the last Super Bowl many times. It was the... Yeah, a few of you said Steelers. And I said, okay, the year before that. You see, that glory begins to fade away. But Paul told us that the prize that we're working for, which are jewels in our crown, are eternal. 
One day we are going to stand before Jesus Christ to be rewarded for what we've done on this earth. But what we don't realize is the reason we're going to be rewarded is because we were created to rule and reign with Jesus. So one day we are going to rule and reign with Jesus during the millennium. And if you came and listened to what I taught on Revelation, it's even going to go into eternity. We are going to be ruling and reigning with Jesus. But what we rule over, what we reign over, depends on what we do here on this earth. So shouldn't we train just as hard as athletes, if not harder? Yes. So how do we train? Well, people, that's what I talked about last week. We need to have a good diet of God's Word. You need to get up and read God's Word every day. Not only that, we need to exercise our faith. And the way that we exercise our faith is we do the Word of God. We became a doer of the Word. And the last thing we need to do is we need to strengthen ourselves through prayer. Now, if you weren't here last week, what you need to do is you need to get online and you need to listen to last week's sermon so you can train yourself to be godly. The third character trait that God wants you to possess is determination. In other words, stick-to-itiveness. When things get tough, God doesn't want you giving up. And athletes who have this character trait sometimes can do miraculous things. Let me show you what I consider to be the greatest play ever in a Super Bowl. Pressure from Thomas off the edge. Eli Manning stays on his feet, airs it out down the field. It is caught by Tyree. Oh, my God. This ball's thrown, and Tyree just goes up for it like a basketball player. Harrison trying to knock it down. And Eli, man, I don't know how he got out of there. I thought he was on the ground, and and then he came out of the pile and just slings it. That's a great catch by David Tyree. And now with 59 seconds left, the Giants needing a touchdown. The ball is at the New England 24. It is the greatest play ever in the Super Bowl. Eli Manning had determination. He was not going down. David Tyree had determination. He was not going to drop that ball. And their determination led the New York Giants to a Super Bowl victory over the Patriots. Yes! Can't stand those Patriots. But anyways. Now... What would happen if Christians had that same type of determination? Well, I'll tell you what would happen. We would literally turn the world upside down like the apostles did. Turn to Acts chapter 17, verse number 6, and I want you to notice what unbelievers said about the apostles. Here's what they said. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out. Here's the ones who were persecuting Christians. They cried out saying this. These who have turned the world upside down, have come here too. People, the apostles were so determined to preach the gospel to every nation that they were said to have turned the world upside down. People, that's determination. And that's the type of determination that God wants us to have. So let me ask you this. Are you determined to share the gospel with your family or friends? 
Or are you afraid of maybe I might offend them or be uncomfortable? So one day when they die, you don't know with peace in your heart that they're truly going to go to heaven. You don't know with peace in your heart that they have escaped the eternal flames of the lake of fire. Let me ask you this. Are you determined to invite people to church? Because if you're not determined to invite people to church, what you're saying is I really don't care about your eternal soul. Are you determined to live your life as a witness for Jesus Christ? Now, if you're not determined to do those things that I've mentioned, you're never going to be the type of Christian that God wants you to be. And I'm just being honest. Some of you have traded earthly things, or I should say you've traded in spiritual things for earthly things. Some of you work so hard to attain things here upon the earth, but the truth of the matter is life upon this earth is but a vapor. One day you're going to actually die if Jesus Christ does not come back first. And you're going to step into eternity. And everything you did on this earth, you're going to be judged for. And what you did on this earth is how you're going to be rewarded And some of you have worked so hard to attain all of these things upon the earth, but those things are going to pass away. And because you didn't work for those things that are spiritual, eternal, you're not going to have anything. Let me tell you, some of those who are what we would consider to be the lowest in society will have the much, will have the much, will have the most when it comes to heaven. You need a determination to carry out God's will in your life. The fourth character trait that God wants you to possess is the ability to focus on a goal and not get distracted. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Philippians, the third chapter. I'm going to read verses 13 and 14. Here's another sports analogy, by the way. I'm going to begin in the middle of verse number 13. But I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Jesus Christ, is calling us. Again, as I said, here's another one of Paul's sports analogies. Not just in Corinthians, not just in Ephesians. Here we have one in Philippians. He was a sports fan. Now, in this analogy, he is comparing himself to a runner. Not a long-distance runner, but a sprinter. You see, in a competitive race... The dashes, the sprints, not long distance, but the sprints. The runners focus on one thing and one thing only, the finish line. They don't look back. They don't look from side to side. They keep their eyes focused on the finish line. Because if they don't keep their eyes focused on the finish line, then they're not going to run as fast as they can. And all great athletes possess this type of focus. I'm here to tell you in life it's so easy to get distracted And it's easy to get distracted when you're an athlete. With all of the Super Bowl hype, it's easy for the players to get caught up in the festivities. You know, on media day, they've got to come out, and they have all of these things that are organized for them. It's really no different from the college bowl games. They've got to make their appearances. They've got to do this. They've got to do that. And if they're not careful, they're going to become distracted, and they're going to lose their focus on the game. And if that happens, they're not going to be as prepared as they ought to be. And that could be the difference between winning and losing. All it takes, people, is one mental error because they weren't focused on the game like they should have been. And you have to think, every time you go into that huddle, what you need to accomplish in that play. The Vikings should have been in the Super Bowl. They were driving down. All they needed to do with time running out was to kick a field goal. They needed to get it a little bit closer so it would be a sure thing. So what do they do? They roll Brett Favre out to the right. He's rolling to the right. 
If it's not open, all he needs to do is throw it out of bounds. But all of a sudden, it opens up for him, and he could have ran and got the first down, would have been able to kick the winning field goal, and gone to the Super Bowl. But Brett Favre did something that he's had a habit of doing in the past. He's going to go for it. And I love that about him. I want someone who's trying to go all out. And he throws across his body in the middle of the field, and the, and the pass gets picked off. Sure enough, the Saints get the, the uh, flip, and as a result of that, they win. But you see, what Brett Favre should have done when he stepped in that huddle was this. I can't get an interception. I can't get sacked. The worst thing I can do is to get sacked or to get an interception. So just make sure I don't do that. But he didn't think that way. People, all it takes is one mental error. One time when you're not focused the way that you ought to be, you get distracted, and that's the difference between winning and losing. And people, it's the same thing for Christians. Paul said that he was focused on one thing. He wasn't focused on two things. He wasn't focused on three things. He was focused on one thing. The race set before him and the finish line. That finish line that was there. And he didn't worry about the mistakes that he'd made in the past because that would only distract him. And that would keep him from running the race the way that he should. Now in verse number 15 of chapter 3, Paul tells us to follow his example. We're to be focused on what God has called us to do. We're to be focused on what's really important in life. And we're not to get distracted by all of the things that are going on around us. You know, when we get married and we have kids and we're working at our job and the kids are doing all of these things, so many times it's easy to get distracted with just life. And we forget what life is really all about. Let me tell you what life is all about. Life is all about relationships. That's it. And if you don't realize that, all it takes is a catastrophe to bring that home. Your house burns down and you barely made it out alive, but everyone in your family makes it out. That's when you realize, hey, this doesn't really matter. What really matters is we're alive. A tornado comes or a hurricane comes. All of those type of things. When a catastrophe comes and the family makes it alive, you realize this is what's really important. Now, the Bible tells us the most important relationship that we can have is not even our marriage. It's not the relationship with our children. The most important relationship we can have is with God. When that relationship is right, when my vertical relationship with God is right, then my horizontal relationship with others is also right. It forms a cross, people, but it goes up first with God. We need to be focused on the things that really matter. So, as you're enjoying the game tonight, what do I want you to do? I want you to think about this morning's sermon. I want you to see the type of passion that the players have. And then I want you to ask yourself, do I have that kind of passion when it comes to sharing the gospel? Am I as passionate about winning people to Jesus Christ as much as they are passionate about winning the Super Bowl? And then I want you to notice how big, how fast, and in shape the players are. And that's because they're disciplined. They've trained their whole life to get the chance to go to the Super Bowl, and now they've made it. And then I want you to ask yourself, am I training myself to be godly like 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 7 tells me to? Am I disciplining myself to read the Word of God? Is that the diet that I'm really doing? Am I exercising my faith by being a doer of the Word? Some of us just read the Bible and we think that we're a doer of the Word if we come to church, we put money in the offering plate, and we sing along. That's not what being a doer of the word is all about, people. It's every day when you read that word, you say, Now, God, 
I've read this. How can I apply this to my life? What should I be doing with it? You need to ask yourself, am I strengthening myself through prayer? And if not, then people, you need to get with the program. And then I want you to notice how determined each player is. The players tonight are determined that they're going to give everything they have for 60 minutes. They're going to play their heart out. Not one of them is going to ask to go out unless it's a receiver who's been running the sprints all, down, uh, all day long. But they're going to play their hearts out. And then I want you to ask yourself, do I have that type of determination to share the gospel? If not, then you need to do some soul searching. And last but not least, I want you to notice how focused every one of the players are. They have one objective and one objective only. To win the Super Bowl. People do not remember the teams that lose. It's just an honor to get to the Super Bowl. Obviously, you've never played sports. If you've played sports, it's not an honor to make it to state. It's not an honor to make it to the second round, the third round. It's not even an honor to make it to that finals. It only really is an honor if you win. And I want you to ask yourself, am I focused on what's really important? Or am I distracted by everything that's going on around me? Am I getting so distracted by all of the extracurricular activities that my kids are in? Am I getting distracted by all the overtime at my job? Am I getting distracted by my hobbies? You need to ask yourself that. Or are you focused like Paul was on the race that you're running and the finish line? Now, let's huddle up. Next week... We're going to be starting a new series about marriage. It's going to be fantastic, even if I do say so myself. In fact, let me just say something here. Every once in a while, I hear someone make, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and say it, and if I offend you, I'm sorry, get over it. I hear someone make a stupid comment like this. I've heard him teach on marriage so many times. You know, let me tell you why that's a stupid comment. That's like Jethro Bodine making it through third grade, and he's had math. And he says, I don't need no more math. I can add and subtract, and sometimes I can do long division and multiplication. But you know, I want you to understand there's so much more. You've got algebra, and then you've got college algebra, and you've got uh, uh, college geometry and trigonometry and calc 1 and calc 2 and differential equations and all of the others. Bill could just name them off. But you know, sometimes we think, well, I heard a little bit about marriage. I've got it all. I want you to understand something. I could spend my whole ministry teaching on marriage, and I promise you, I could teach you different things every time. So we're going to have a series on marriage, and it's going to be fantastic. So get passionate about inviting people to the service next week. Discipline yourself to pray about the service. Be determined to come and to bring people with you. And let's focus on, on what's really important in life, which is getting people saved and getting their lives changed. On two, on two. Ready? Break. Some of you played sports. Okay. In the huddle, you know, the quarterback would call the play, and he would then give the snap count. You always repeat it twice because there's always a lineman not paying attention. You'll notice that even in the Super Bowl. Watch what takes place. The quarterback will start walking up and one of the linemen will turn to him. And what he's asking is, what's the snap count again? He wasn't paying attention. He was thinking about something else. So at the end of the thing, you always come in and you say, after you say the play, you say, on two, on two. Or if it's on three, on three, on three. Ready? And everyone claps hands and says, break. That's old, old school. But, people, I want you to be focused. 
And I want you to understand why Paul used sports so many times as an analogy to teach spiritual principles. And it's because of this. The same principles that it takes to, to win in sports are the same principles that it takes to win in the Christian life. And we don't realize that. I'm a big believer in sports because it teaches life lessons, but more importantly, it teaches spiritual lessons. I played in games when we were getting our tail beat and there was no chance of winning. And I would watch players on our team begin to give up and it made me mad. Because I was taught that you play until the buzzer goes off and the game is over. And let me tell you, life is that way. It doesn't matter what life throws at you. It doesn't matter what catastrophe you go through, what suffering you go through. You play the game until you breathe your last breath. And you will be rewarded one day for that.